We are in a series uh, on Luke, and Jesus is, is teaching, but I want to pause because the things that he mentions in this passage we might not be aware of in, in the 2023. Uh, I, I know that biblical literacy, meaning we don't know our Bible. Uh, my generation was kind of the last generation to have this thing called Sunday school. Anybody remember Sunday school? Um, we're trying to do some things to, to develop some biblical literacy. We're encouraging you to read your Bibles um, because the Old Testament is important uh, and it, it impacts your perspective on the New Testament. And so we need to understand uh, why these prophets and, and what they were talking about and, and what these things were happening um, because they apply to, uh, they point to Jesus and they apply to our lives. And so in order to get to Luke 11, we are going to start in 1 Kings chapter 10. 1 Kings chapter 10. Now when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to test him with hard questions. Okay, so uh, it's important to know that Solomon was, was the son of David, and, and so he uh, was um, uh, inherited the kingdom of Israel. And because of that weight, he sought the Lord, and Jesus, or, uh, the father saw that, that um, he was, um, uh, was a good king, and, and he said, what, God asked him, what do you want? How many of you would like God to ask you, hey, what do you want? I'll give you whatever you want. Yeah, that would be a good, if you heard the voice of the Lord say, whatever you want. And Solomon asked for wisdom because he had a love for leading the people of Israel to the Lord, and he knew that he needed wisdom in order to do that. A lot of us will pray for general wisdom, but, it, but Solomon had a reason to pray for wisdom, and we have to know what, what that reason is. So the queen of Sheba lives very far away. And she hears of Solomon's wisdom, and she seeks him out um, because she's heard of his riches and his fame, and because of his wisdom, he's prospered in all that he's done. Solomon is kind of a big deal. He's rich, and he's famous, and he's powerful, and he knows uh, right from wrong, and he can uh, discern uh, the direction. If he was uh, in the stock market, he would know he would be the wisest investor. He would have billions of dollars, maybe trillions of dollars. Solomon knew what he was doing, and, and so he had all of this fame and the queen of Sheba heard of Solomon, and so she, she seeks him out. She tests him. She says, is this real? That's important. Remember that. She tests him, and she asks, is this real? And what does she do? She doesn't just ask, but she pursues. She sought him out. She took a journey and found Solomon. And in verse 3, and Solomon answered all of her questions. There was nothing hidden from the king that he could not explain to her. And when the queen of Sheba had seen all of the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, the food on his table, the seating of his officials, the attendance of his servants, their clothing, his cupbearers, and his burnt offerings that he offered at the house of the Lord, there was no more breath in her. So Solomon answers the queen of Sheba, and he leaves her breathless. He, she sees that he's good. She sees his wisdom, and she's left breathless. She's in awe of this man, of this king that God has chosen to bless. 
And then in verse 6, she said to the king, The report was true that I heard in my own land of your words and of your wisdom, but I did not believe the reports until I came and my own eyes had seen it. And behold, the half was not told me. Your wisdom and prosperity surpass the report that I heard. Happy are your men. Happy are your servants uh, who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Blessed be the Lord of your God who has delighted in you and has set you on the throne of Israel because the Lord loved Israel forever. He has made you king that you may execute justice and righteousness. Then she gave the king 120 talents of gold and a very great quantity of spices and precious stones. Never again came such an abundance of spices as that the queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon." So her response to this awe, her response to this breathlessness is to praise him and to serve him, to give to him, to be generous to him. She praises him, she exalts him, and then she is generous to him. And then we see in verse 13, the king Solomon gave to the queen Sheba all she desired. And whatever she asked besides what was given her by the bounty of King Solomon, she turned and went back to her own land with their servants. So I want you to know that the king's response to the queen of Sheba is he gives her everything that she asks. Anything. He, he tells, uh, he, he says, whatever she desires, make sure it's given to her. Okay, what I want to point out is this, it should be our response to Jesus. This should be our response to Jesus. The the response that the Queen of Sheba had for the King Solomon should be our response to Jesus. Number one, the proper response to Jesus is to ask the question, is this real? Some of you have just grown up in church and you've never actually concluded that there was this man that died and three days later he came back to life. Some of you have never, this is your first time to step foot in a church, and and you're saying, is this real? I would encourage you to ask that question. Is this real? Because if you haven't asked that question, then the belief, the faith is, is very shallow. But if you've questioned in your heart, if you've asked, God, is this, is this real? Did Jesus really raise from the dead? Because if you come to the conclusion, if you see with your eyes that Jesus has risen from the grave, if you know in your heart, if the Bible says, if you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good, it will compel you to live a life worthy of the gospel you've received. But if you never wrestle if you never ask the question, if you just beat bop around in life and you're just, I'm a, I go to church because everybody goes to church and I'm, uh, this is what I do. And you've never deeply thought, is this real? If you've never pursued Jesus and you're not willing to go the extra mile, you're not willing to say, I'm going to go see with my eyes. I'm going to pursue, I'm going to go to church and I'm going to seek the truth and I'm going to be convinced that this is real. Because the, the proper response to Jesus is understanding that he did conquer the grave, that he made a way for us to enter into eternal life. And and it's impossible to be indifferent. No matter where you are on that spectrum, if you you have nothing to do with church and you're just here to make your mom happy uh, or whatever reason you brought, uh, you you heard there's free donuts, um, you're here. Um, I, I want to encourage you to pursue Jesus because he will meet you. 
As you pursue him, he will draw near to you. And, and I want you to know that it is true, that it is, it is real. Jesus died and rose from the grave, that he made a way for us to uh, inherit eternal life. And if we confess Jesus as Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, then we will be saved. And that information should transform your life, and it should create a passion in you that says, I can't just be indifferent about this reality that Jesus has made a way for me to live. I need to communicate that to the mass. I need to tell everyone. I need to, if someone gave you a new car, you would tell everyone. But Jesus, the king of the universe, gives you a new life for all of eternity, and you don't tell anybody? Because it's not real to you. You haven't seen it. You haven't been transformed. And, and the reason we gather on a Sunday morning, the reason we praise his name together is for those people that come in these doors and they don't know if it's real because Jesus inhabits the praise of his people. And when we glorify his name, he shows up. And I'm not just talking about goosebumps. I'm talking about you just know that God is in this place, that God is real. When we read the Bible, it's his word and it's still living and active. And there's something in you even right now, wherever you are on the spectrum, that's just burning inside of you because you know it's the truth that Jesus is who he says he is. And the response to that, as the Queen of Sheba responded, is, is awe. That's the reason we worship. Because when we see him, when we taste and see that the Lord is good, if you really understand his strength and his might and his glory, it, the natural response, the only response is speechless. I'm breathless. Does Jesus take your breath away? When you gaze at him, when you understand all that he's done for you, does he leave you breathless? Number three is she, worship, she praises him. Uh, I wouldn't use the word worship here, but in our case, for Jesus, we, we worship him. We tell him. We thank him. We say, hey, I, hey, I heard about you, Jesus, but, but it's, it, half of it, they didn't tell me the half of it. They didn't tell me the half of your goodness. They didn't tell me, uh, you know, you're so much better than anything I'd ever experienced before. When you taste and see that the Lord is good, when you have a personal relationship with Jesus, it's going to naturally cause you to worship. And what does she do? She gives generously. It says more than anything else, uh, more than anybody else had ever given, she gave. She was willing to sacrifice and to serve and to, um, to bless and then finally, she asked. She asked things of the king, and the king gave them to her. Uh, she, he said, anything that she asked, give it to her. And, and Jesus wants to give to you in that same way, that he's uh, generous, he's generous, he's generous. He will give uh, you whatever you ask, um, whatever you need. He is willing to give to you. The second story and I took way too long on that, and I wasn't planning on it. Um, those are my notes. That's what I'm seeing. So uh, none of that was in my notes. But, um, uh, but I want to tell you another story. Uh, it's the story of Jonah. Jonah is uh, an entire book. It's four chapters. It's in the Bible. I'll let you um, read it on your own. I'm just going to summarize it. Uh, so God sends Jonah, this prophet, to save uh, Nineveh. Um, but before Jonah can save Nineveh, he's in a cold, dark place, uh, not a tomb, but in his case, the belly of a fish. And then after Jonah appears, uh, three days later, 
he brings uh, this good news to the people of Nineveh, and they repent. You see the symbolism, if you're familiar with Jesus at all. Uh, God so loved the world that what happened, he gave his only son. And the way that Jesus saved the world is he lived a perfect life. He died on a cross for our sins, and then he was in a cold, dark tomb for three days before raising to life and sharing the good news and equipping the disciples to communicate that to the world. The only thing I left out was Jonah was a terrible person, um, and uh, he didn't want God to forgive, and, and uh, you know, he had some hatred and biases in his heart, where Jesus is our great high priest, and he's gracious and loving and kind, so he's the better uh, version of Jonah. But you can read that whole story in, in Jonah chapter 1 through 4. And I, I did put some uh, scripture in the Bible app, and it might have been on the screen when I was talking. But uh, we're going to jump in now, finally, to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. When the crowds were increasing, he began to say, so that uh, Jesus, if you remember, um, uh, <clears throat> um, is, is preaching. And, and when the crowds were increasing, he began to say, this generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. I want to point out, first of all, I believe this is my first point. I don't know. (laughs) I had a lot of pre-points. First point, Jesus desires wholehearted disciples. And so what he does when the crowds increase, when when there's a bunch of people, he challenges the half-hearted crowds. Because what he's seeking is, is wholeheartedness. He's seeking people that are fully devoted to him. And, and so he's, he's preaching a little more challenging messages because he's seeking those who are fully devoted. He's not seeking those who are looking for a sign or looking for free bread. He's seeking out those who are fully devoted to him. And the same is true today. Jesus wants you to be fully devoted and, and he's going to, even this morning, kind of uh, allow you to understand that, that he's worthy of your wholehearted devotion. And, and if you don't see that, then, then you're missing out on all that God has for you. Verse 30, for as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment when the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. So now you understand why we had to uh, read some of the Old Testament. If you didn't know who the Queen of Sheba was, uh, it's hard to understand what Jesus is saying. If you don't understand the story of Jonah, um, then you don't understand what's happening here. I want to point out from these verses that Jesus' resurrection is sufficient proof of his lordship. That's a lot. But, but Jesus, the fact that he rose from the grave, which is historically proven outside of the Bible, we have eyewitness accounts, um, uh, not just in this book, which is the most historically accurate book of all time, and that's not a biased opinion. Look it up. Um, uh, I, I want you to know that this is true. 
Your faith in Jesus isn't the faith that he rose from the grave. It's, it's the faith that he's the Lord and the Savior. And we have to believe in that. We have to believe that God rose him from the grave and we put our faith in Jesus. Jesus' resurrection is sufficient proof of his lordship. The people were wanting a sign and he said, you're, you're only going to get the sign of my resurrection. You're only going to get this uh, Jonah was in the belly of a fish for three days, and then he, in essence, came back to life and preached the good news. And Jesus said, that's the only sign you're going to get. And, and so um, uh, what I would encourage you to do is be careful of saying, I'll believe when X, Y, and Z. And start asking, did Jesus really raise from the dead? Because if that is true, then I can't be indifferent about it. That has to impact my life. I can't half-heartedly say that I believe in a, uh, someone that rose from the grave. It has to directly, there's a direct correlation between my belief and my behavior. The second point is Jesus is worth seeking out. Just as the Queen of Sheba came from the ends of the earth to see Solomon, you uh, should be willing to go to the ends of the earth to see Jesus. He'll leave you breathless. When you see how much he loves you, when you hear of his wisdom, when you comprehend his compassion, Jesus, he's worth seeking. He, he's worth it. If you just knew what I knew, if I could just take my, my experience with Jesus and give it to you, you would understand. And, and all I have is my words, and so I'm doing my best, but, but he's worth it. Verse 33, no one after lighting a lamp puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand, so that those who enter may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. Therefore, be careful lest the light in you be darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, it will be wholly bright as when a lamp with its rays gives you Light. What, what's he talking about? I'll tell you, you see what you're looking for, and you become what you see. You see what, you look, what you're looking for, and you become what you see, which is why I believe that the word that God gave at the beginning of service, um, this person didn't know the message, but God wants you to change your perspective. Because you see what you're looking for, and you become what you see. There's this kid, children's song, Be Careful Little Eyes What You See. Some of us adults need to remember that song. Because the negative things that you're looking at, you're going to become negative. If you're focusing on, on the chaos of the world, then your spirit is going to become chaotic and anxious. But if you focus on that God is on his throne, that he is good, that, we are, uh, that he will provide for us, that he will take care of us, um, we need to understand and change our perspective because what we receive is what we Put out. What we receive is what we become. And so I, I'd like to use the remainder of this service to kind of uh, take a survey of these next few verses and point out the seven things, the seven areas of darkness that we need to shine light on in ourselves. Because if we uh, can identify the darkness, then we can shine some light on it and, and become better and become more Christ-like. Uh, so number one, we see 
in verse 39, and the Lord said to him, now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. Greed and wickedness. I, I, I believe that this is one of those inward signs as, as Jesus so eloquently puts, you clean the outside, but you don't even know about the greed in your heart. You're not even aware of the wickedness inside of you. And even when you read these words, greed and wickedness, you can think of other people, but nobody in this room is thinking, yeah, I've got some of that in my heart that I need to take care of. And, and so as we go through these seven areas, I would encourage you, if you can, to say, Jesus, shine light in me. I'm going to let go of my pride. I'm going to let go of my perspective. I, I, I feel like I'm doing good, but, but God, if I'm not, shine a light in me and help me see some areas in my life so that I can give them to you and become made whole and become brighter for you. Maybe it's greed. Maybe you, you want, you're selfish, you're, you, you want more and more and more and, and nothing satisfied. Maybe you're wicked and there's some uh, temptations that you're giving into. There's some darkness inside of you. There's some things that, that you know you shouldn't be doing, but you continue to do them. Let's shine some light on that. Let's allow God's light to shine in us this morning. Verse 42, but woe to you Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and herb and you neglect justice and the love of God. Those you ought to have done without neglecting the others. So the second one, I just I put what Jesus said, tithing with, without, uh, uh, while neglecting justice and love. So, so this idea of we tithe, which I, I will pause um, and say that Jesus, you know, some people say Jesus never said anything about tithing. He says, you should do it. <laughs> he said, these you should have done. You, you should be tithing. Um, and so, uh, and the Pharisees were very, I mean, they would, uh, they would tithe out of their spices. And so they were, you know, they had little scales and they were measuring out a tenth of, of, the, of the spices and the thyme and the, these little tiny herbs. So they were very religious, and, and, and now we just, you know, we put it on reoccurring or whatever, and we forget about it. Um, but, but it's this idea that God deserves the first fruits, and then he'll bless the rest. And, and we, um, he can do more with the 90% than we can do with the 100%. And so this idea of tithing is biblical, and Jesus himself mentions it, and so I just, that's free. But, but he says, okay, but, but what they were doing is they're tithing, and then they feel entitled to go and neglect justice and, and, and love. If I could paint a, a, a word picture for you, it's this idea of handing a homeless person a, a $5 bill and walking away and, and feeling good. I, I gave, but I'm, I'm neglecting them. I'm not showing them love. I'm not showing them, uh, and, and we should give, we should be generous. I'm, I'm not saying that, but it can't stop there. I have, uh, uh, I've had friends in the past that because they gave to the church, they felt entitled to things. And, and I, I would warn you against that. Just because you give to the church or just because you're faithful in one area doesn't give you a license to sin in another area. Just because you come to church on Sunday doesn't mean that you can go party on Saturday. We, we have to understand that uh, Jesus, that God looks at the inside of our hearts. 
And he weighs us based on whether we are fulfilling the law. And the truth is, is we need Jesus to help us with all of those things because none of us are perfect. But we need Jesus to help us show love and justice and to tithe faithfully and to trust God with our finances and, and to avoid greed and wickedness. Next, Jesus says, Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplace. So the, seven area, this, uh, one of the, the next area of darkness is, is this desiring fame and prominence. Uh, the younger generation, we desire to go viral on, uh, on all the different platforms. Um, uh, the older generation, we want our name, you know, on a plaque somewhere in the foyer, right? Uh, I think I just offended people. Everyone looked at me weird. Um, but but there's, this, there's an idea, and we want to honor those who deserve honor and give. And I don't, I don't know of anything. If you have your name on the foyer, praise God. We love you. Um, <laughs> okay, um, and if you're viral on TikTok, we love you. You're awesome. Okay, all right, cover all my bases. But, but the desiring of that, the desiring of I want people to know me. I want people to look at me. I want to be famous. I want to, people to think that I'm somebody, that there's a wickedness there, and we need to be aware of it. Um, I, I want to speak to we all need people that, to love us. That's a natural human need. And, and, and so we're all, if I can use the word entitled to that, to seeking somebody to love us, but, but desiring fame just for the spotlight. And it's okay if you become, uh, Solomon was famous, but he pointed to God. He said, this is because of God. And, and he was quick to, to give God the glory. And so if, if God happens to give you a spotlight, I would encourage you to point to God and say, hey, this isn't me. This is all God. Because Peter says that you, they will see your good works and they will glorify God in heaven. The disciples are famous. I, I'm not saying there's anything inherently wrong with becoming famous, but, but there is something inherently wrong about seeking that fame. Uh, there, there's nothing inherently wrong about having money, but there's something inherently wrong about seeking to have a lot of money for selfish reasons. Okay, so it's about the heart more than it is about the substance. We, we have to understand the heart and we have to shine light. God, is this something I'm desiring more than you? Am I desiring attention? Am I desiring fame? Am I desiring, uh, pridefully desiring the focus to be on me more than you? Because it's all you, Lord, and you deserve the glory. Verse 46 and he said, woe to you lawyers also, for you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you, uh, you yourselves do not touch the burdens of one of your fingers. What's, what's funny, so the, this whole, if, if you're reading in a, a Bible, it, it, the header is woe, the woes to the Pharisees and lawyers. And so he's, he's bashing on the Pharisees, and the lawyers are there, and they're offended because the shoe fits, you know. And, and so um, the, some of the things he's telling the Pharisees, that it's offensive to the lawyers, and, and I, I uh, skipped over the verse, but you can read it. They say, Jesus, you're offending us as well. Some of those things are, are offending us. And instead of turning and apologizing, he turns and says, woe to you, lawyers also, for you load people that with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. So, so we're hypocritical, we're, we're critical, we're judgmental. If, if those things are you, if you're putting a burden on somebody else and holding them to a higher standard than you hold yourself to, you need to become aware of that this morning and repent of that this morning. Uh, this is, I'm not preaching to your neighbor. God's not speaking 
to anybody. He's speaking to you. God's speaking to you. And, and he wants you to become aware. Am I, am I hypocritical? Am I critical of other people? Am I judgmental? Am I putting burdens on people that are hard to bear while I'm not even judging myself? I'm not even thinking about, do I do this? Verse 47, woe to you for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. So you are witnesses and you consent to the deeds of your fathers for they killed them and you build their tombs. Um, uh, this next one could become uh, a hot topic pretty fast, um, but it, it's defend and perpetuate historical injustice. Um, that's what the lawyers were doing, is, is they were saying, well, my fathers did this, and, 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 it, and they were justified in their actions, and, and the church has to be careful about what we're defending um, as far as what's happened in the past. And, and there's uh, systemic racism and there's some ugliness in the past that we have to be quick to say that wasn't right and we're not condoning what happened. But we are moving forward and saying we're going to do better. We're not just going to build monuments to the past, but we're going to continue to improve and become more like Christ. And so we have to be careful of the historical things that we defend some of us are so quick to defend things um, and so slow to share the gospel of Jesus with those um, around us. We, we have to be aware of our tendency uh, to do those things, and we need to shine the light of Jesus on that. Are you with me? I know this is kind of negative. I'll, I'll like make you happy at the end, all right? Um, Jesus is, I'm preaching the Bible, okay? And it says, woe to you. So, uh, this is what it is. It is what it is. I preach the Bible, you know? Next week, he'll say, like, uh, uh, in a couple weeks, actually, he'll say, um, you know, you can, uh, if God takes care of the sparrows, then he's going to take care of you. You know, that, that feels good, right? So we'll, we'll get there, all right? Because that's true. But we also have to do this. We, all, we also have to understand that there's some things in us that we need to be aware of and recognize our reliance on Jesus. I'm not here to make you feel condemned, but I am here to make you feel a little convicted and say, God, I, I didn't realize all this was in me, and I need you. I need your grace and your love and your forgiveness more than I ever knew. And he's going to lavish his grace and his love and his forgiveness on you. I'm not asking you to be perfect. I'm telling you to, to just repent and ask God to help you, and he will help you. The Holy Spirit will do the work. All we have to do is be honest and humble before him and have a contrite spirit, and he will transform your soul. So I'm not putting a burden on you and saying, you better straighten your life up. You better do this, and you better do this. I'm just encouraging you to check your heart and say, God, if there's any wayward way in me, if there's any wickedness in me, God, I need you to forgive me, and I need your, I need your love, and I need your forgiveness, and, and I, I don't want to do those things anymore. And, and some of us need to hit our knees and understand that, that the Holy Spirit of God, very God, will transform you if you allow him to, but it requires a repentance and a humility to admit that you're a sinner and admit that you have some things that God needs to shine the light on. Woe to you lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves, and you hindered those who were entering. This is the, the heaviest of them all. Uh, what, what Jesus is saying is they know that Jesus is the Messiah, but they're refusing to acknowledge it, and they're refusing to share it with others. 
They're trying to find all the reasons that he's not the Messiah. They're trying to, to take the law and to take these things and to take the prophecies and they're trying to redirect them and say, well, that can't be. Uh, Jesus is fulfilling all this stuff, but, but they're, they're trying to uh, manipulate and to change and to not acknowledge and they put these blinders on. And some of us come to church every Sunday morning and we, we've yet to share the gospel with anybody. And, and so you know the truth. You know that Jesus came and he died on the cross for your sins and their sins. And, and yet you have kept that knowledge to yourself and you haven't shared it with the world. Are, are you going to, when we get to the end of time, are there going to be people that are, that are dying and, and they're saying, why, nobody told me. Why didn't they tell me? We have to be willing to admit that Jesus is who he says he is, that he is the Messiah. And then we have to tell people. We have to share it with others. We can't hinder those who don't know Jesus. We want to make it as easy as possible. We want to take away any hindrance. We want people to know Jesus and the love that he has for them and for us. Verse 53, and I'll close with this. If the musician would like to come. The, the Knowing that Jesus is the Messiah um, uh, is one thing, but, but then we see this, um, that as, as he went away from, from there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard and to provoke him and to speak about many things, lying in wait for him to catch him in something he might say. I see a, a spirit of, of criticalness in, in the church today, and, and not necessarily in Life Fellowship. I don't know that I've seen it very often at Life Fellowship, um, where, where somebody comes to church, but they're just looking to start a fight. <laughs> they're just looking, they're looking, they're being critical, they're, they're looking for a reason to not believe, instead of seeing all the reasons to believe. And, and that we have a tendency, I think, to do that as, as people. We will look for, we'll be critical, and maybe you've been hurt by the church in the past. Maybe you've been uh, uh, wounded, and, and, and some people said some hurtful things to you. And, and because of that, you've allowed that to, to taint your perspective. And I'm encouraging you to change your perspective, to recognize that, that God is good, that Jesus is the Messiah. And, and we have to understand that that no matter what we face in this life, that he is going to be with us. He's going to go before us to guide us and direct us if we would simply trust and follow after him.